So please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and spend time in your word tonight. And Lord, we do ask that you would help us to to be open to what your definition is and how you define things and not necessarily how culture or how we feel. And Lord, I'm so thankful for this body here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. I pray that they would feel your love tonight, God, that they would really be strengthened in their inner man, that they'd be fed and that they'd be taught. Lord, we ask for your blessing on children's ministry. Just walking through there a few minutes ago, Lord, you've blessed us with so many kids and we ask that you would strengthen the teachers and the helpers and really minister to the kids in a special way. We thank you for junior high and high school. Pray for Greg and Andrew, Lord, as they bring the word that you would bless them. And Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. As we come to Romans chapter 12, we come to a division in the book, and it goes from doctrinal to practical, the doctrine of God's grace, the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, who we are in Christ Jesus. We got to meditate upon that for 11 chapters, and then we saw in verse 1 last week that it shifted, that we were encouraged based on the mercies of God, based on the grace of God, to offer up our lives as a living sacrifice, to put ourselves on the altar of God, our eyes and our ears and our hands, that it's our reasonable act of worship. And so the rest of Romans 12 is really worship lived out. What does it look like to be a living sacrifice to God? We, we talk about worship and what is worship? It's definitely the time that we offer ourselves to God in song, but does it stop there? Does it extend into the other areas of our lives? So we really get a working definition of what it means to be a living sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to cover three things tonight, and the first is our thinking. We're going to see as a living sacrifice that our thoughts are addressed, the way that we're to think, and then our service, how we're to serve inside of the body of Christ, and finally, a really strong challenge with our love, and even how we love those who have been our enemies and have come against us. So we'll see our thinking, we'll see our service, and we'll also see our love. So let's look in verse 3 of chapter 12. For I say through the grace given to me, Paul is speaking from that position of receiving grace. He is going to give a strong exhortation, but it's one who's received the grace of God and the kindness of God and the love, love of God. And he says, through the grace given to me, I share this with you. To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So this is the first point that we consider. It's our, our mind. As being a living sacrifice to God, what is our mind to be focused on and engaged in? In verse two, we saw that we're to renew our mind through putting our mind upon the Lord, through studying the scriptures. And so this is how we think towards God in verse two. And then verse three is how we think towards ourselves. And the scripture says that everyone should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And this is to everyone. It says it right there in verse three. This is to everyone who wants to be a living sacrifice to have humble thinking. Amy Carmichael had a great quote on this subject. She says, those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. 
those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. So if I have a prideful perspective about myself, I haven't probably thought accurately or thought long enough. If we're honest, isn't there enough fuel in one day to keep us from being prideful? If we have an accurate view of God and an accurate view of ourselves, it'll naturally produce this humble thinking. It is our behavior. We look at our behavior and there's enough there to provide humility, but it's also our thoughts. It's the intents of our heart. And as those things start to be unveiled, we go, Lord, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I I need your mercy. And when we're mindful of his holiness, who God is and his power and his majesty, we're honest about our own sin, our own struggles, past, present, and future struggles that we're no doubt to have, then it puts us in that place of having humble thinking, of not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. The problem with pride is a lot of times everybody else is aware that a person's struggling with pride except for the person who's being prideful. Isn't that true? You can kind of tend to spot it a mile away. You can see it walking through the door, but yet the person who's in the position of pride, it's difficult to see in and of ourselves. And Proverbs tells us in chapter 16 that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. Jesus said this to his disciples after Luke chapter 10. It says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So they come back from their first missionary journey and they're all pumped up. They're saying, even the demons were cast out. They were, they were subject to, to your name. Jesus starts to sense pride in the hearts of the disciples, and he says, Satan fell like lightning from heaven. What caused Satan to fall? It was pride. He thought too high of of himself. Jesus goes on to say, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and have over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. When God does touch our hearts and lives through his grace and we present ourselves upon his altar by the grace of God, sometimes pride can start to slip in the the back door. And we can start to think, oh man, I'm really making strides in my relationship with the Lord. Or I'm really serving the Lord. Or God's, God's really using me. We start to look down upon others. Why aren't more people at the Wednesday night Bible study? Why aren't there more people to, to serve the fourth graders, you know, why don't more people give of their finances? Why are, and wait a second here. Wait, what's behind all of that? And could it be that we're starting to look down upon others and we're to elevate ourselves? I think verse three is a perfect warning after laying ourselves on the altar. Don't get prideful. Remember your sin. Remember your, your own struggle. Think, think humbly. Think accurately. And this verse goes on to say, describing our mind, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The word soberly means not fanciful, honest, and accurate. This is not going around with a loser mentality. That's not thinking of ourselves soberly. The the scripture's not saying, you know, make yourself out to, to be a person of no value. Sometimes that can almost be prideful. If I walk around just talking about how miserable I am and how I'm always failing and I'm, I'm such a wretch, then 
What's the natural response of the person who hears that? Oh, you're not that bad. You know, you're being too, too hard on yourself. And before you know it, I'm still drawing attention to myself. So soberly, it means accurately. It means honestly. If God has blessed you with a gift or a talent, you don't have to go around walking around like you don't have a gift or you don't have a talent. You know what? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I realize that God's the one who has given me that gift. Elizabeth Elliot said, a compliment's like a rose, that you receive it, and at the end of the day, you carefully and intentionally lay it down at the feet of Jesus. There's humility sometimes in just being able to receive a compliment. It says, thank you. I appreciate that. Praise the Lord, and you, and you give it over to the Lord. You don't have to argue. You don't have to put yourself down. You don't have to say, well, if you only really knew, you know, I just appreciate that. Thank you for, for giving me that, that compliment and I'm extending it to the Lord. So soberly, it means accurately. It, it is humbly. It, it's honestly. If God's gifted you in something, praise him for it. If you're weak in an area, man, be honest about that as well. I think the key understanding in verse three here is realizing what God has done for us. He's dealt to each a measure of faith. He is the one who's pursued me. He gave me the ability to have faith. So why do I walk around as though I didn't receive something, as it wasn't a gift from, from the Lord? So verse four leads us into the next section. It's our service. The second thing to consider, first is our mind, what we think towards God, what we think about ourselves, and then our service in the body of Christ. It says, for we have many members in one body, but all of the members do not have the same function. This addresses pride as well. The prideful person has a difficult time appreciating and plugging into the body of Christ. The prideful person seems to elevate themselves and put everyone else down. But this describes the humble person who can plug into the body. There's many members in one body. This is one of Paul's favorite illustrations of the church. The church is the hands and the feet of Jesus, and he does use the physical body to describe the spiritual body, the body of Christ. And our physical body is a great example of this, a whole bunch of members, right? But operating in unity for one common purpose. So we have many members in one body, and these members don't have the same function. So don't try to be somebody else. You know, what if the big toe wanted to be the nose? Wouldn't work out very well. I can see your imagination. Your mind is starting to play, play with that one a little while. The ear is an ear. What if the ear wanted to do something else, wanted to be like another member of the body? God has made you distinctly you. And so function inside of the gifts that God has given you. Function inside of the personality that God has given you. Learn from others, appreciate others, but don't try to be them. There can only be one of them, and that's not us. Be you. No one else can be you. You're going to be the best you on the planet. Function inside of the gifts and personality that God has given you. So we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. So one body in Christ. I want you to think with me for just a moment how large the body of Christ is tonight. Right here on our little corner of the world, Austin Bluffs and Academy, there's quite a little move of God. You've got Vanguard Church, that's Kitty Gorner to us. Pastor Kelly, who loves the Lord and serves the Lord. 
just had his 18th anniversary last weekend of pastoring that church. He founded that church. God's really using Vanguard in our community. They're committed to, to the gospel. Discovery Church, that's right here. You know, you, if you went this way, you could probably hit it with a rock. You know, Pastor Greg loves the Lord and is committed to, to the gospel. You go up a little bit further, and there's ABC Church, Austin Bluffs Community Church. Within like a half of a mile, I don't know how many thousands of believers that you have gathering here. A Methodist church, Calvary Methodist, that, that, that's right here. The body of Christ. And if you spent time in those churches, and maybe some of you have, I don't have that opportunity because I'm committed here, but you would see different flavors, wouldn't you? You would you'd see different strengths, different weaknesses, different philosophies, but if there's a commitment to the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, there's a unity inside of the body of Christ. I hope you know this. I hope you see this expressed in the way that we pray for other churches in our city, but we know we're not the only church in town, and we know that our city would be severely underserved if that were the case. There are different churches committed to the same head, Jesus Christ, to reach different people. It's the body of Christ. And then to expand the view a little bit more throughout Colorado, throughout the United States. Our missions team that's in Gulu is partnering Calvary Chapel Gulu. Same Jesus, same scriptures, committed to the same core, but yet it looks very different. Why? Because it's a different country. It's a different culture. It should, it should look different. So it's beautiful to be part of the body of Christ. We don't have official membership here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. You probably have noticed. And the reason for that is because we want to associate with the body of Christ as a whole. We want you, you to see yourself as a member of the body of Christ at large, not just the member of one particular church. Not that there's anything wrong with membership. Churches do that, and I understand why, why they do that. But that's why we've chosen not to do it. And so we're one body. There's unity there, but there's also diversity, individual members of one another. Because if we were all the same, the body of Christ wouldn't be in its full expression. Verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let them use them, let us use them. Grace for salvation and grace for service. God has poured out his grace upon us by giving us gifts to be used in the body of Christ in a lost and dying world. Ephesians 4.8 says, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. God has given you gifts if you know Christ as your savior. You're part of the body of Christ and you've been uniquely fitted by the Lord for purposes to build up and edify the body. Every single person. And I think this is a great expression of God's grace because it's wonderful to be saved. That's the main thing. And it's also wonderful to be used by the Lord. Amen? So nobody has to sit the bench. Serving the Lord's not just for people in full-time ministry, whether they work at a church or at a, a nonprofit. We're all in full-time ministry. You've been given gifts. And so use those gifts to edify and to build up the body of Christ. I think there's a real joy and satisfaction in using your gifts for the Lord. An old movie that I really enjoy that was written about a man named Eric Little called Chariots of Fire. Black and white movie. But the storyline of Eric Little's life is that he was a great runner. 
And he chose to not run on the Sabbath day. And because of that, it got the attention of a lot of people. His meet was on Saturday. And he says, I can't run on Sabbath to honor the Lord. So he ended up running in a meet that he hadn't trained for. And he ended up winning. But there's a point in the movie, it's a point in his life, where his sister was talking to him and saying, you should be on the mission field. Because he had had a heart to be a missionary. And eventually, he did go on to the mission field. She's saying, why are you wasting this time running when you could be out on the mission field? And some people kind of view serving God like that. Like you can't serve God in athletics or you can't serve God in accounting or you can't serve God in construction. You know, the only place you can serve God is if you're a, a missionary or a pastor in a church. And this is how Eric Little responded. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. See, what happened is, is he was operating in his gift of grace. God had given him a gift of grace that when he did it, his soul came to life. And I think we all have that. We all have a gift or two that God has given to us that when we start to use that gift, not for ourselves, not for our own purposes, but we, when you use it for his glory, for his kingdom, to build up his church, to reach unbelievers, all of a sudden wind comes in our sails. And some of you are nodding with me in agreement because you felt that satisfaction. You're gifted in working with your hands. And when you have that attitude and pr perspective as I'm building this for the Lord, you feel God's pleasure. Some of you are gifted in athletics. And when you choose to serve the Lord in athletics to glorify God, you feel God's pleasure. I feel God's pleasure when I get to teach the word. Even in preparing and studying this afternoon, I was like, Lord, thank you so much for allowing me to be to do this. And I'm so thankful that God has put me on a path where he helped me to discover my gifts and operate inside of them. So how do you know what your gifts are? Isn't that a good question? I think most of you are saying, I just wish that I knew what I was gifted in. First is, pray about it and ask that the Holy Spirit would begin to reveal the gifts that God has already given to you. How that manifests many times is you start to develop a burden. You start to develop a burden for something. You start thinking about this group of people. You find yourself praying for them. You find yourself wondering if anyone is serving them. That oftentimes lines up with the gifts that God has given you to do. Nehemiah had a burden to build the walls around the city of Jerusalem. So pray about it. Try to identify the burden. Also, stop and think about, well, what has God gifted me to do? What are the things that I do feel God's pleasure in when I do them? Also, how do you respond to situations? I think a lot of times we'll identify your giftedness. Every once in a while, there is a car accident in the parking lot of Rocky Mountain Calvary. Maybe you've been a part of one of those. And let's say tonight is the night for another car accident. And you witness this car accident. I believe that you will respond according to your primary spiritual gift. If your spiritual gift is exhortation, you might get in the face of the person that caused the accident. Lovingly, of course. And say, what were you thinking? You could have cost someone their life. There's little kids running around in this parking lot. You probably have the gift of exhortation. That's probably what God has called you to do. If you respond in this way, 
of going, oh, I feel so bad for you. I feel so sorry. That's such a bummer. Let me pray for you. You probably have the gift of mercy. Or if you respond this way and say, you know what? I noticed that your technique in driving was not quite right. (laughs) You didn't look at your mirrors. You needed to turn this way. You probably have the gift of teaching. And you're desiring for that person to do better down the road. (laughs) And so you teach them and instruct them in that way. You may respond by going, you know, you probably didn't plan on this happening. And do you have full coverage or just liability? Oh, you just have liability? We need to find you a new car. I'm going to help you find a new car. I'm going to help you buy a new car. You have the gift of giving. See how you respond to those type of situations? We tend to respond out of our chief and primary gift. And so pray about it. Look for the burden. Look at how you respond to situations. Look for where you feel God's pleasure. But then I think most importantly is just start serving. Just start serving. Because as you start to serve, you'll start to identify where you're gifted at. Have you ever heard the expression, it's hard to drive a parked car? Cars are hard to steer when they're not moving anywhere. But when they start to move, they're easier to steer. In the same way, God, you love your people. I love your people. I'm going to start serving your people. It doesn't have to be an official capacity. And you're going to start to find, I am good at this, or I am no good at this. I am terrible at this. And before you know it, you'll find yourself slipping right into the niche that God has created you. God's given you a gift by his grace. Let us use them. We have a few examples here in Romans 12. It's not an exhaustive list. If you prophesy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. It takes faith to prophesy. Prophesy is speaking forth the word of God, but it's also speaking in reference to future events or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. Ministry is simply serving. If you have that knack and that gift for for serving, then use it in serving others. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. What is exhortation? It's encouraging to pay people to take that next step that they're reluctant to on their own. We all get to that place where we're just a little bit reluctant for whatever reason to take the next necessary step. And the person of exhortation comes to us and gives us a little nudge and a good push in the right direction. He who gives with liberality, with freedom and generosity, as a cheerful giver unto the Lord. And he who leads with diligence, leadership takes diligence. Don't be slack in, in leadership. Be diligent in leadership. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. If you have the gift of mercy and you operate in mercy over a period of time, you can start to burn out. And that cheerfulness is gone. There's no longer that that joy in doing that hospital visit or hearing that person pour out their story. Or sometimes it can lead to bitterness instead of cheerfulness. Because maybe that mercy was given with a little bit of a string attached to it. And so if God's blessed you with the gift of mercy, just shower it on people with, with cheerfulness. And how they respond, that's between them and the Lord. And keep going to the Lord for that refreshment. I admire those that have the gift of mercy. It takes great patience and long-suffering to, to sit and to listen and to pray. And just the emotional energy of someone over and over sharing the heartbreak in, in their lives. Pastor Bob 
here at, at RMC, one of our pastors, I believe he really has the, the gift of mercy. You know, people call on him all of the time in hospital visits and when their marriages hit the rocks and difficult things that have happened with their kids because they know they're going to find the gift of mercy. But I also know it takes a toll on him as he reaches out with the love of, of Jesus Christ. So I was thinking a little bit about just how appreciative I'm f- for this in our body here at our church. And I could never go through everyone in, in our church and how everyone's gifts are being used and the edification of the body is taking place. But I wanted to share a few things that come to mind. Robert Beach, our assistant pastor of the gift of administration. You know, he was my boss, my supervisor when I did youth ministry here. And he's really good at keeping this church running in an order, orderly fashion. RMC wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for how God is using him in that gift of administration. I think he's coming up on 18, 19 years of faithful service at RMC. A lot of guys that are the assistant pastors at some point want to be the senior pastor. They go, I've got to do that. That's, that's, you know, that's the next step. And that's never been Robert's desire. He, he's always been faithful and really served effectively inside of the, the gift of administration. You know, you think of Sean Rafferty coming back on staff uh, here. He was pastoring down in Chihuahua, was our missions pastor, went to Chihuahua for six years, and then came back this summer. He's really gifted in creativity. If you go upstairs, you're going to see some nice warm colors upstairs in our upstairs foyer, and they're coming down downstairs. And that's because of Sean's influence. He was a graphics designer in, in college, and, you know, we were missing that element of creativity. And la- like I talked last week, we're not trying to put colors in the foyer to be the hippest church in town. We, we know we're not going to be as hip as the world. We're just appreciative of all the colors that God had made, and we're excited to try to create a warm environment for you to fellowship in and sit down and have, have conversation in. Sean's also a great exhorter. He's really good at, at challenging you to take the next step if you're reluctant to, to do that and give you encouragement when you're stepping out in, in the things of the Lord. Like, like I mentioned, Bob with the gift of, of mercy. And those are just, just a few. I think of Donnie as Donnie has that gift of encouragement and serves at the door here and is our facilities manager. I think more people go down his hallway to his office to talk about things going on in their lives than meeting with the the pastoral staff. But there is a part of what Donnie does that's very practical. I mean, the floors look really nice for a really low cost. And I don't know what spiritual gift you call that, but I'm thankful for it, you know? does a good job with our facilities. How many times have you gone into the restroom and found it just blown apart? You know, you usually go in there and it's clean and there's toilet paper, which is appreciated and, you know, everything necessary for bathroom needs, right? I think of Donna Graham with our women's ministry, 10 years now almost of, of leading up our, our, our women's ministry. And the women's ministry has really flourished through her leadership. God's given her the gift of, of leadership. Deb Rumsey, who's our children's ministry director. What a large responsibility from infancy to, to fifth grade. You know, we, we don't know exactly. I mean, we do know because of the children's check-in, but we don't keep track of the exact numbers. But I know it's in the hundreds of kids that come into RMC throughout the week, through Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Tuesday morning women's ministry, Tuesday afternoon. And that all is under Deb's responsibility. And she does, she does a great job. 
to chance leading worship and everyone who's on the worship team. Chris takes his job really seriously at the, at the sound booth, you know. He's kind of a self-made man in the sound booth. Didn't have the training prior, prior coming to it. And I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, hundreds of people serve at RMC every single week to build up the body of Christ. And some, you know, in an organized fashion and some in an unorganized fashion. It's not like you have to be an official volunteer at RMC to be using your spiritual gifts. And I'm so thankful for it. And I want to encourage you, if you're at this place of saying, you know what, I've just never really found the joy or found where I fit inside of the body of Christ as a whole, is take that step. Go for it. Fill out a volunteer application. Go to the information center. It's a short form to fill out. It's going to ask you where you want to serve. If you have no idea, just choose two or three that, that come, come to place. And then even just your mindset with believers that you have a relationship with. How can I serve them? How can I bless them? How can I, how can I build them up in, in the things of the Lord? And personally, I think that's when the Christian life really gets exciting. So we've seen our mind, our thoughts, and we've also seen our service. And the last thing we're going to look at tonight is our love. This is all part of being a living sacrifice. This is worship lived out. Let love be without hypocrisy. This is love's quality. Love needs to be real. Hypocrisy goes back to this idea of a drama with a mask, where you'd hold a mask in in front of your face, where the real person is behind the mask. And love shouldn't be behind a mask. It shouldn't be fake. It should be real. It should, should be genuine. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that this is so. Like in the South, and if you're from the South, maybe you can educate me on this. I'm, I'm the furthest from the South. I grew up in Oregon, live here in Colorado. I've been to the South just a, a few, few times. But when I have visited the, the South, I thought, you know, it's so nice that especially women, but people in, in general will say, well, well, bless your heart. The Lord, just bless your heart. And then I talked to someone from who, who was from the South and they said, that's actually not really always a complimentary thing. That when, when they're saying that, there's really sometimes a little bit of disgust underneath that. And it's just masked, well, Lord bless your heart, you know. And really it's kind of like, well, you know better. You should know better. The Lord just bless your heart, you know, like, like he's going to get you. And I don't know if that's the case or not. But when you stop and think about it, it could be. It really could be, right? Maybe for some, it's absolutely genuine, and for, for the others, it, it's not. But it gives us something to think about. Sometimes we just kind of put on the love face, don't we? Like, Lord bless you, you know, take care, I'm praying for you, wink, wink, wink. And it's like, I had no intention of praying for them. That was just a good way to get them off my back or something like that, you know, or didn't know what else to say. So I was saying I would, I would pray for them. And that's not what God desires. He wants it to be real, doesn't it? He wants it to be genuine. He wants it to be, be from the heart. I don't think that our love's always perfect because if it was, we, we would be Jesus and we're not Jesus. Our love's not perfect. And we fall short in a variety of different ways when it comes uh, to, to our love. But being genuine and being honest and being real in our sincerity with our love for each other. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. This is love's morality. It's love's morality. In love, we have to be hating what's evil and clinging to what is good. In our culture and our society, this is a daily moment-to-moment activity. I was watching the news uh, last night, and there was just some things on the news that there was downright evil 
You know, and I, as I was watching it, I was having to make the conscious decision to reject those things and to put my mind on the, the things of Christ. It can be as innocent as turning on the news to reading the news online to a conversation that's happening at work or with the neighbors and we can't remove ourselves from the world. We're to be in the world but not of the world. We're not to swim along this same stream and this is part of not being conformed is when we get exposed to evil is to not embrace it, not condone it, not justify it but abhor what is evil, and then cling to what is good. If it's good, cling to it. Hold on to it. It's love's morality. And here's love's expression. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. I'm so thankful for the family that I grew up in, my biological family, my parents, my brother, my sister, because there was a lot of this, kind affection and brotherly love for one another. We had a good time with each other. We teased each other. We greeted each other. We laughed with each other. And at times, we fought with each other. This is speaking of the kind of love that's inside of a family unit to be expressed inside of the body of Christ. What makes biological family? Well, a lot of times, it's blood, but not always. Not always. And inside the body of Christ, we're biological family through the blood of Jesus at the cross of Jesus Christ. We're joined together at the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is our expression of love and the way we greet each other. It's warm, it's how you doing, it's, it's good to see you. It's joking around with each other without crossing the line. You know, there's a healthy way of joking around with someone that lets them know, I care about you. You know, if I really feel comfortable with you, I'm gonna joke around with you. Because that's a way that I express love. That's a way that this brotherly love is is, you know, expressed. Walking around dudes in the fellowship, slap them upside the back. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? This is that expression of the family love that we have inside of the body of Christ. And it's wonderful to have our family unit, but it's also wonderful to have our unit in in the Lord. In honor, giving preference to one another, this is the mind of Christ. This is esteeming others better than ourselves, honoring others, give preference to them, be willing to yield to others. This is a way to express love. How many times in relationships are we fighting over things that we don't need to fight about? There would be a unity if someone would just yield to the other. It's not a theological issue. It's definitely not an issue of great importance, but it's an issue of great division. And if somebody has the humility to say, I'm going to give preference to the other. As we live life to look around for needs. If the dishes need to be washed, wash them. If the trash needs to be taken out, take them out. If there needs to be someone to humble themselves, to yield themselves, we look to take that position. And I find this section of scripture very convicting and lots of room for growth. Still speaking of love not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is love's commitment. Be diligent, isn't it? Love's not always the warm, fuzzy feelings, is it? There's days when you'd wake up and you don't feel like loving others. That's when love chooses diligence. It's fervent in spirit. There should be some passion involved in our love. Also, the most important thing in verse 11 is it's serving the Lord. Why are we loving others? Because we're serving the Lord. We're expressing our worship to God by loving others. 
Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer. As we love people, we're going to find ourselves in verse 12. There will be times where it's tumultuous. There will be times where there's a need to be steadfast. So we're rejoicing in hope. We're saying, God, you're going to continue to work in this situation. I'm going to continue to endure in this trial. I'm going to continue to lift this up to you in prayer, knowing that you hear prayer, that you respond to prayer. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. This is love's care. If you see a need in a brother or sister's life in Christ, man, give. God has blessed you with allowing you to be close enough to that person to see the need. So distribute to the need. Be given to hospitality. Be willing to share. Be generous. It's, it's love's care. You know, brotherly love is great, but if it's not met with care, it's a little bit shallow. One of the things that I know about my family is we'll joke around and greet each other and there's that warmth, but also when push comes to shove, we're gonna be there for each other. And it's the same way inside of the body of Christ. There's that warmth where we greet each other in the love of Christ, but also when push comes to shove, we're there for each other. I know some of you have those relationships inside this room tonight, and others of you don't. You're saying, is this church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, really here for me? And I want you to hear me on this, is we're not perfect, and I'm sure we'll let you down, but we're going to make the attempt to be there for you. You know, we're not just here Wednesday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings. This church is open seven days a week. There's someone here Monday through Friday, and if you walk through the doors, we're going to try to sit down and pray with you. We are constantly giving out money from the church to people in the church that are in need. We obviously cannot be giving out money to everybody who walks through the door. But when someone comes to RMC and this is their home church and you're in financial need, we want you to let us know. And a lot of times we can't meet the whole financial need, but we can give a little bit. And that little bit may really make, make, make the difference. We have pastors that are on call when the church is closed for life and death emergencies. Now, if you lost your dog, that's not a life or death emergency. It really does mean life or death emergency. But if you have a loved one in the hospital that's dying, we will come in the middle of the night. You call the church, you get that number, you call the pastor, you say, can't believe it, my wife just had a heart attack, and we'll be there. And not just the staff, but people in the church were rallying around you to be there for, for one another. Obviously, the best is if you have those built-in relationships through fellowship. But we realize not everybody does, and the church is here to try to love, love and care. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. This is when love got, gets a little bit more challenging, because so far love has been directed towards the body of Christ. But now it's towards those that persecute us and curse us. How can we come to this place where we bless when we're persecuted, when we bless and we do not curse? It's that looking at the cross of how Christ responded and knowing that Christ lives inside of us. It's only through Christ. We rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's actually a little bit harder to rejoice with those who rejoice sometimes because our jealousy gets in the way. When someone's going through a hard time and they're weeping, there's a lot inside of us that says, I just want to come alongside of you and weep with you. But someone comes and like, I got a promotion at work. 
I got a 5% raise. You're like, I have not got a raise since 2007. I'm so happy for you. Praise the Lord, dude. Sweet, you know? Someone comes in, oh, I just, we were able to buy a house. Yeah, and you're, oh, I just got foreclosed on. It's hard. It's hard to not compare in our own lives. Don't compare. Be thankful. The Lord blessed them. Just rejoice with them. High five. Praise God. That's great. And then weep with those who weep. There's a time just to sit down and weep with people. Don't try to give them all of the answers. Please hear me out on this because some of you may not like it. But be careful. It's not always the right time just to do the Bible slap down and quote Romans 8.28. Someone has just lost a child. You don't get out your Bible and go, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Have a nice day. We're not an answering machine. You know, they didn't get an answering machine. They got a person. And sure, in time, you can encourage with those kind of truths but if you just lost one of your children, what would you want? Would you want someone to try to explain it to you? There's no answers in that moment. All you can do is weep with them. Sometimes the best comfort is the comfort that's unsaid, amen? And scripture gives us wisdom here. When someone's broken, just weep with them. Be of the same mind toward one another. This is love's harmony. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. This is the expression of humility. If we see ourselves in an accurate state, there's not anybody that we can't spend time with. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have a regard for good things in the sight of all men. This is difficult. Someone cuts you off in traffic, what do you want to do? Ride their bumper, baby. Cut them off back. Someone says mean things to you, say it back to them. Your spouse is having a bad day and they pontificate some vomit verbally upon your face. What do you want to do? You want to give it right back to them. Say, bam, evil, evil for evil. This is very difficult. This is very challenging. It's love's behavior. It's how love responds when, when wronged. How can we not return evil for evil? It's found when we get to verse 19. We'll get there in just a moment. If possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. The key here is if possible. There's some people that refuse to live in peace. But as much as depends upon you, live in peace. How do we do that? Very quickly, we forgive. Things that are not important, we let go. This is not a sin issue, so I can let this go. And then if there is sin, the scripture tells us to confront it in humility for the sake of relationship, for the sake of winning a brother or sister in Christ. There's nothing like being able to go to bed at night and knowing as much as depends upon me, I'm living in peace. I've attempted to live in peace. How we cannot repay evil for evil is verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. They're not going to get away with the evil. So instead of us having to take vengeance, we leave it to God. And as long as I'm trying to take vengeance, then God won't do his job of bringing vengeance to the situation. My vengeance will not be accurate. I know that. Because I've been hurt. 
My feelings are in the way. My flesh is in the way. My perspective's in the way. Humility says, God, you can take care of this. I'm turning this over to you. I'm letting it go, and I'm giving place for your vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Here's how we're to respond. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. The end of verse 20 is a little bit confusing. Is it saying to burn your enemy with fire doesn't seem to be congruent with feeding them and giving them something to drink. Are you feeding them and satisfying their thirst just to burn them? (laughs) No. In this time frame, and you can imagine if your fire went out, it'd be very difficult to get it started once again. So if your neighbor's fire had completely burnt out, then you would take them coals. And how you would take them coals is put it in a clay pot and put it upon your head. The idea here, verse 20, is not to light your enemy on fire, but to warm them and to bring comfort. As we choose to feed, to give water, to bring heat to our enemy, it's for the purpose of winning them into the kingdom or having them experience a changed heart. I've heard a story of a husband who was living in adultery, had left his wife, was living with this woman, with this this girlfriend. And the wife who had been sinned against, her husband is committing the sexual immorality, decided by the leading of the Lord to knock on this door where her husband and girlfriend are at and bring some fresh baked cookies. God had told her to do it. I don't, God, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else with these cookies. Like throw them in his face, right? But she did it. And she brought him these cookies. They were his favorite cookies. And that softened his heart and began a process of restoration that took two years. See, that's the hope in serving and praying for our enemy. That's the hope in feeding our enemy is that through that act of love, there would be a change of heart. Verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It'll be the best thing for us to not be overcome with evil. When someone sins against us, it's very easy to become evil. You weren't in that evil place. I wasn't in that evil place prior, but then they sinned against us. We get bitter, we get angry, we get vengeful, and we start acting evil. We start acting in a way that's even outside of our character. Don't be overcome by evil, but this is what we do, overcome evil with good. I'm gonna choose to turn it over to the Lord. I'm gonna choose to give room for God to deal with the situation. I'm gonna allow love to express itself, and I'm gonna look to do good to them and allow the Lord to work in their heart and to work in my heart as well. So what have we seen in this chapter? We've seen worship lived out in our thoughts. What am I thinking about myself Is it humility and biblical and accurate? God loves me, he's died for me, but not thoughts of pride and elevation. Our service, am I using my gifts to build up the body? And then finally, our love, am I loving others? So let's stand and pray together. Fathers, we've spent time in your word tonight. We just pray that you would bless it, that you would bring fruit, that you would bring application As we spend time in communion, would you minister to our hearts? May it be a rich time of drawing near to you. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.